0: Hi, and welcome to episode 0088 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Grove. Does this episode sound a little different? Yes, why? Yes, it does. It's been a while since the last episode of this uh, here show, and GarageBand has changed yet again, and I no longer know how to do anything in it. Hopefully, though, this episode will be worth the wait. Uh, holes to admire the tie-in to this episode's cocktail. In this episode, we're uh, going to look at a new offering from Blackwell Rum, their 007 special edition that is tied to the latest and pandemic-delayed James Bond film No Time to Die. When the movie was originally slated to debut in 2020, a friend of mine from the Tiki community asked if I wanted to collaborate in a discussion of the Blackwell 007 rum. Uh, as it turns out, we were both big James Bond fans. In fact, my friend Jocelyn isn't just a fan, but she is part of the YouTube channel Ladies Who Bond, link in, uh, in the show notes. Now, after multiple release delays, No Time to Die is making its debut, and so is this here episode. So hum that Bond refrain, but dum ba-dum, and stay tuned for episode 88, of 5 Minutes of Rum. And now, before we get into the actual rum and, and the actual episode itself, I want to talk a little bit about the future of this show. Um, including this one, um, I want to announce there are going to be five more episodes until the show quote unquote officially goes on hiatus. Obviously, the show's release schedule has basically fallen off a cliff since 2019. Um, I didn't really call any attention to it, but those of you that follow the show know that that's, uh, the tr- that's true, That's that's the case. Um, there's kind of a few less or not reasons. There's a few uh, few reasons, not a few lessons, uh, for wanting to put the show officially on hiatus. Um, first and foremost is there were a couple of things that I wanted to learn when I started the show. Uh, two of the, the two specific things were what how what, what to podcast, which um, I I got that um, sorted, and now um, pretty much everybody in the world has a podcast. So congrats, everyone. Um, And I also wanted to learn how drinks were not just, not just how to mix drinks, but also how they were created. Uh, It occurred to me when I started looking through cocktail recipes that I was actually looking at certain ratios and that they all kind of followed a certain ratio. And I wanted to work through that um, as well as learning more about rum. I've kind of gotten to the point where, where, you know, I've scratched that itch more or less. um, And that's probably why things have fallen off in in the recent past. Um, The other one um, is maybe... need to try and cut my overall consumption a little bit uh in terms of cocktails and rum um as you get older as i am um your tolerance becomes lower and i don't mean tolerance in terms of of uh getting uh, buzzed or drunk but just in how it how it impacts you and i'm noticing more and more how it impacts me um and the pandemic had no small part in that as well um and then finally uh, and frankly i'm appreciating more and more that the history of rum um, is a little bit well not a little bit it's a lot problematic um, I would say problematic at best, and you know maybe it's time to uh, to assess you know how that fits into a larger conversation about thing, how things are going. But all that said, uh, or all that aside, there are going to be a few uh, five more episodes. Like I said, there'll be this episode, the uh, 007 Blackwell. I will have something on Hamilton's new Zombie Rum. I will be doing a vacation five minutes of rum very soon, including a Latitude Twenty Nine Mai Tai Premix. Uh, I'll be looking at Diplomatico, which surprisingly I've never done before, and the Diplomatico 5.0 cocktail, which I created for a friend's birthday. And then I'll finish things off with, uh, I don't know, something interesting, something a little bit more uh, top tier, um, and we'll see where that goes. If you have any suggestions, let me know. I haven't quite settled on that, but I have a couple of ideas. And with that, let's get on to this episode's feature drum. All right. As mentioned at the top of the show, this uh, episode's rum is a Blackwell 007 Special Edition rum. Now, uh, disclosure alert: This is not actually sponsored content. Uh, but uh, my friend Jocelyn, as I mentioned in the open or in the opening, helped me procure a bottle of this Blackwell 007 rum. Um, she is very active in the James Bond community, and when she saw that this was this was being released, uh, she helped me procure a bottle. So, no, I didn't actually purchase it myself. But it wasn't sent to me by the manufacturer. It was just some you know common interest in and uh, a common topic that we could talk about. So if there is a bias present, it's because I like rum and I like James Bond, and that's probably all there is to it. So uh, let's get into the rum uh, itself first and talk a little bit about its characteristics. And then we'll get into some of the uh, marketing notes and a little bit more about the rum. So as per usual, let's talk a little bit about the rum and the bottle itself. This is a a particular or special blend of Blackwell rum. Uh, if you recall, um, if you're a listener of the show, we talked about Blackwell Rum, the, the standard version, in episode 50, and talked a little bit about the Nelson's Blood Cocktail and the um, now uh, lamentably gone Portland uh, uh, Trader Vic's. Anyways, uh, Blackwell Rum, and this was established as a marketing tie-in to the 2020, now 2021, James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Uh, Chris Blackwell, the namesake um, of this rum, has strong ties to both Jamaican, uh, excuse me, Jamaica and James Bond. So this, this collaboration does make a certain amount of sense, even though James Bond, if you're aware as a character, isn't really known as a rum drinker. But I'll allow it, given uh, Chris Blackwell's ties to, again, not only Ian Fleming and Ian Fleming's estate, but also the, uh, the Caribbean itself. Uh, in terms of appearance, let's talk a little bit about this. There's a picture of the rum uh, bottle in the show notes. Uh, the bottle is frosted black with a synthetic stopper or synthetic cork. Uh, there's labels on the front and back, mostly silver print on black background, with select elements like the 007 logo in a light gold color. Um, overall, it's a very nice-looking bottle, but it has a very singular flaw. You can't see what's left in the bottle. There's not even a line on the back where the front where the glass isn't frosted, so uh, you will only know by the heft and the and the uh, and the, the shake in the bottle how much you have left in the bottle if you have one of these. Um, in the glass itself, the rum is a dark amber color, kind of like a grade A maple syrup. Not as dark and opaque as the standard Blackwell, but it is, you know, like I said, sort of a dark amber color. Uh, When it comes to aroma from the bottle itself, the nose is not terribly assertive. Um, You don't really get a lot of nosing from the bottle shape, so that's not terribly surprising. And then once poured, there's more presence on the nose, but overall it's a a very mellow smelling rum. Um, If you aerate it a little bit by swirling the glass, it'll open it up a little bit, give it a little bit more uh, air and start to get some of the aromatics running. Um, There's a light astringency, excuse me, astringency and a hint of maybe that wood or barrel aging uh, that's characteristic of an aged rum. Um, And then after letting it sit in the glass for about 15 minutes or so, it opens up a bit more for a little bit more sugar. Uh, But unlike the normal Blackwell, it's not really a molasses note. It's just kind of a sort of a sweet note from um, sort of table sugar, if you will. Um, When it comes to taste, um, the first sip was initially very bright. Um, It leaves a little bit of heat and spice on the lips. The the mouthfeel itself is a little on the light side, uh, but I'm not calling that a bad characteristic, just sort of a matter of fact of what it is. Uh, There's a little bit of sugar, kind of like what we were saying was on the nose when you uh, excuse me, sit out for a few minutes, but it doesn't actually taste overly sweet. Um, it's It's also not gonna remind you of the more assertive rums of Jamaica. It's more kind of the subtle Jamaican style of Appleton, if you will. Uh, you can call it subtle, you can call it refined, uh, but it's not one of those Jamaican rums that's going to bowl you over with a lot of aroma, a lot of funk, a lot of hogo, excuse me, hogo, <laughs> um, or anything like that. That's not what its style is. And then uh, when it comes to finish, um, it starts faint in my uh, in my estimation or in my experience, and then uh, really quickly opens up to a warmth in the middle of the throat. Um, it lingers a little bit, doesn't really stay long, probably a factor of its uh, sort of standard ABV of uh Forty ABV or eighty proof, um, and kind of I guess in that in that uh, along those lines to sum up. So you know, I think all of the elements of this rum are in sync with each other. And, you know, they're all very subtle. There's nothing that no one thing stands out. Um, and before doing any of the research, my guess was that this was uh, the idea was to create sort of a refined sipping rum to fit the style and the marketing of a James Bond movie, uh, and create a spirit that would have more appeal than a uh, you know what i would call a capital rum rum in other words this is designed to be uh, a mainstream and uh, and embraced by by folks who are going to go uh, catch the flick and and you know I, I think that they succeeded in what they were trying to accomplish the finish makes this a better candidate for sipping rum than the standard blackwell that we talked about in episode 50 and therefore um it, we want to make a cocktail that highlights the spirit itself um, and i haven't had the standard black one a few years until in the, in the last week uh, but my impression after having both recently is that in terms of a sipping rum, I do enjoy the 007 more. Uh, when it comes to mixing, uh, it kind of depends on the cocktail. I still do like the standard edition Blackwell rum for mixing in cocktails. Again, it's more of a profile of an Appleton uh, Jamaican rum as opposed to like a punch in the face Jamaican rum. Uh, but overall, pretty good. And I think, you know, what they may be going for, uh, and I'll get into this a little bit with the marketing notes but they i think this is something that they would be marketing towards people who are not necessarily a rum drinker kind of like the uh mountain eclipse black barrel where they made it a little bit more whiskey style um and i think it's, it's it succeeds in that in that area so um when it comes to again like i said marketing notes the bottle itself doesn't give much up with regards to the actual rum blend uh we know it's an e-proof offering we know it's produced by the j red company uh, so I wouldn't be shocked if Joy Spence, the master blender of Appleton, was involved in creating this particular blend, um, and the rest of the notes on the bottle are actually more of a discussion of Chris Blackwell himself. Uh, but what the bottle doesn't have in rum info, it makes up for with a cool AR experience. So if you take your mobile phone and you visit Black, uh, I think it's uh, BlackwellAR.com, and then you scan the barcode, you'll get a pretty cool nifty augmented reality experience featuring Chris Blackwell, where they tell a couple stories. And then you can, you know, poke on a couple other things in the air experience and see some other multimedia things. So um, it's a bit of a gimmick. You know, it reminds me a little bit of CD-ROMs in the mid-90s. But, um, you know, it's kind of a, a fun little thing that in, in, in lieu of actual information about rum, at least there's something on there. So um, I guess to sum up what I think about the uh, the 007 edition of Blackwell Rum, um, I would say I could spend a weekend with my uh, James Bond Blu-ray collection and a bottle of this year rum. And overall, I wouldn't be too mad about it. So. Um, you know, not not too bad. We're gonna get to a cocktail that I think highlights it nicely. Um is it my favorite rum? Nope. But uh are all the James Bond movies my favorite movies? Nope. Uh but I still enjoy spending time with it. So there you are. All right, let's spend a little bit of time um trying to make the connection between uh Blackwell rum, rum in general, the Caribbean and James Bond, because there actually is a connection there. So like I said, it doesn't it seems like it might be out of left field because you kind of expect james bond to be promoting a vodka um spirit for the movies but uh there is a through line so let's see if we can get through that um so uh blanche blackwell um who's uh the i guess the the start of this story came from a a relatively rich family in portugal and they came to jamaica in the year 1743 uh at that time the family bought the island's leading rum manufacturer remember in those days there were a lot of rum manufacturers in jamaica but the the one that they bought was the aforementioned J. Ray. Uh, Blanche married a gentleman by the name of Joseph Blackwell. Um, they had a son and eventually split apart. Uh, Blackwell met, eventually met Ian Fleming, the author of the James Bond novels, at a dinner party that was hosted by Noel Coward. Um, at the time, uh, Fleming was writing From Russia with Love, and so this was sort of near the beginning of um, of the James Bond uh, novel series and when they first met uh maybe Fleming and and Blanche didn't uh, didn't get along exactly but eventually they formed a friendship based on their shared love of Jamaica so they shared common interests like uh the flora and fauna of the island um and then uh they, maybe they got a little close i'm not going to get into much of the gossip but there uh, there was a closeness between Blanche Blackwell and Ian Fleming so um actually Chris Blackwell said at one point he talked a little bit about how the relationship between the two had blossomed, how they had bonded, um, and they were into a lot of things that the island had going for it, you know, swimming, snorkeling, etc. Um, and actually Blanche in, at some point gave Fleming a small fishing boat, which he named Octopussy, um, which um, I don't know if this is good or bad, but Fleming ended up naming one of his novels Octopussy, which frankly is probably, in my opinion, the worst uh, James Bond title in in uh, the entire history of James Bond titles, but this is neither here nor there. So um, in uh, the mid seventies, reggae icon Bob Marley bought the GoldenEye estate. GoldenEye was the name of the estate that the Fleming lived on. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you recall um, the discussion during episode 50, um, Bob Marley's records were produced by Island Records, Island Records, the music company that was founded by Chris Blackwell. Uh, so Chris Blackwell was the guy who sort of popularized outside of Jamaica um, um, reggae music, and Bob Marley, um, and then later on in the '70s, Bob Marley eventually ended up selling a house to Blackwell, um, and then um, the Goldeneye Resort got turned into a luxury resort. Uh, so there is a history there of, you know, Chris Blackwell has strong ties to to the islands and indeed. If you recall, he co-founded Island, Island Records itself in 18, excuse me, eighteen. Come on now, nineteen fifty nine, and that's where he um, he had, uh, signed Peter Tosh and Bob Marley, and then other things that were outside of the islands like U two. Those were all part of the Island Records group. So uh, again, like just just sort of to note that it's not out of the ordinary that Blackwell has a Jamaican rum, and that it somehow gets tied to James Bond. Uh, if nothing else, you know, there's the Golden I Estate. So. Uh, there, There is some history there. Now, before we get into the cocktail for this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, my interaction with the James Bond mythos, if you will. Um, I'm not definitely not going to give you my uh, my ranking one to whatever of all the movies. But, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, on how this intersects uh, where I'm coming from and how maybe it intersects with my Rome experience, which is to say until this rum came out, not at all. Um, But James Bond was a thing that I've been interested in or is a thing I've been interested in for a long time. Um, Actually, you know, everybody, um, if you're of a certain age um, and you're a fan of James Bond, you have your James Bond, right? The one that where you first saw a movie uh, that became your James Bond. Was it Sean Connery? Was it Roger Moore? Um, If it was a real slice of time, maybe it was George Lazenby. But you all kind of are, you you know, if you are a fan of the series, you kind of have the one that you quote unquote grew up with. Um, Interestingly enough, my first James Bond uh, movie in the theater was Never Say Never Again. So technically my first experience was with a Sean Connery James Bond, although that is definitely out of canon. So Never Say Never Again, for those that aren't familiar, was basically a retelling of Thunderball and it grew out of a discrepancy between the, um, the Fleming estate who was producing the movies and one of the co-writers of Thunderball. And so uh, through some litigation, the the co-writer of Thunderball, who, if I was doing better research, I would have the name in front of me, but in, the gist of the story is, is that he had the rights to basically those characters and was able to remake Thunderball into Never Say Never Again, um, which coincidentally came out the same year as Octopussy, uh, I believe that was 1983. So I knew of James Bond, and I went to go see Never Say Never Again in the theater, um, and I thought it was awesome, and I was seeing like Sean Connery, even though it technically wasn't quote unquote a James Bond movie, but it really was. It's all very confusing, but it did make an impression on me. And at that point, I was kind of um, you know enamored with not just the movies, but also I read some of the books as well. Um, another early memory of James Bond, and this will date me uh, completely um, if I haven't already, but. In the uh, '80s, um, one of the things you could do when VCRs were still very expensive is you could actually rent a VCR itself, the hardware, and a VHS tape for a night or a weekend. And one of the early memories I have of renting of, of my family renting a VHS was, you know, we were we were going to rent the VCR for the weekend, and they asked, "What did you want to to rent?" And my choice was to rent uh, Goldfinger, uh, which was uh, the next james james bond movie i saw um, and that made a huge impression on me so you'll see um, a lego version of uh james bond's car in the in the pictures in the show notes um and that movie obviously if you're familiar with the movie series um especially if you know that that was the third one they produced there was dr no from russia with love and then goldfinger and goldfinger kind of became the template of what all the movies would become right the cool car the gadgets the iconic villain and the iconic villains henchmen they're all kind of there in in um in goldfinger so uh definitely an influential movie um from there i would catch movies here or there watch never say never again because that was on tv a lot um, another one that i went to was uh to see um a view to a kill in the theater uh, probably one of the worst bond movies in my opinion with the best uh theme song um and you know quite frankly a really good performance by christopher walken Uh, because he's just acting crazy like Walken does. Um, But, you know, that was sort of me moving through different James Bond. And sort of as as it became contemporary, and I watched them as they got released, then there was the Timothy Dalton era, and then the Pierce Brosnan era, which felt like a breath of fresh air at first, but quickly went south. And then uh, I have to admit, the the Daniel Craig era has been sort of a resurgence and a really cool... Uh, set of movies so I I find those good I'm a I'm a specter apologist hot take I think that's a pretty good movie even though it's kind of the plot's kind of hammy Um, but you know by and large I give a lot of the movies a pass heck even even Moonraker uh, upon a rewatch definitely not the worst that you can find in the series so um, I definitely recommend if you're if you're a fan of the movies but you haven't seen them all go back and look at some of them Uh, you may reevaluate some what you think about some of them um you know, from Russia with love is obviously a very good, one. the Spy Who Loved Me is that's kind of a prototypical movie. But even some of the other ones that maybe people don't think too highly of, like Diamonds Are Forever, or uh, like I said, Moonraker, there's stuff to like in there, right? And it's you know they're in, in some cases they're silly. Sometimes they take themselves very seriously, but um, at least as a as a movie series that follows the trends of Hollywood. Um, you can probably, you know, watch them in order and you can, you could chart, um, you know, how, how Hollywood is going, you know, are they going to space? All right, we got to do Moonraker, uh, et cetera, those sorts of things. So overall as a series, I find it very fun. Um, even the worst one has a couple of things that are, that has going for it. Um, and yeah, um, unapologetically a fan. So, uh, there's, will end James Bond talk. Thank you for tuning in. Now, the recipe in this episode is called Worth the Wait. Um, I think, obviously, a nod to the fact that we had to wait for this movie, um, and the hopeful—you know, we're hopeful that it actually was worth the wait. I'm going to go see it soon. Uh, if I get my editing done um, as I'm supposed to, this episode will drop the day the movie opens in the U.S. Uh, so here we go. So hopefully, hopefully the, I, mean, I already think the cocktail is good. Hopefully, the movie is worth the wait as well. So the operating principles of creating this cocktail were as follows. Um, In the spirit of James Bond's well-established shaken, not stirred martini, uh, we had a few overriding principles that Jocelyn and I had talked about that we wanted to adhere to. So we wanted to make sure we had a cocktail that was served up. Um, We wanted to make sure it had a a minimum amount of of ingredients, so two or three ingredients at most. Uh, We wanted to make sure that those ingredients aren't hard to source. We weren't trying to uh, establish a puzzle for people. Um, and I personally had to resist the urge to make it tropical because that's kind of what I do. So um, a classic cocktail template that I elected to follow is um, basically a modified sour. So a classic sour cocktail, if you think about that, is a spirit, a citrus, and a sweetener. Now the sidecar, which I chose to modify or to, to base this on, it would be considered a classic modified sour. The sidecar itself, uh, the classic recipe, is built around cognac orange liqueur and lemon juice. So the absence of a direct sweetener will make for a more dry cocktail. And then you can adapt that as you see fit based on the cognac that you're using or, or the orange liqueur that you're using. So, um, this one I figure would be easily adaptable to use rum as a base because rum already plays nice with lemon juice and orange liqueur. And then depending on the sweetness level of the rum, the lemon juice component can be either dialed up or down. So you can make that either more sour or less sour. So, um, that was the basis for the cocktail itself. So the ingredients for Worth the Wait are two ounces of Blackwell 007 Special Additional Rum, one ounce of Quantral, and three quarter ounce of fresh lemon juice. Combine all of that with ice in a cocktail shaker, shake vigorously, and then strain into a chilled cocktail coupe, and then garnish that with a lemon peel if you desire, and if you don't, don't. Uh, there's a picture of the cocktail in the show notes if you want to see it for reference. Um, Tasting that, I think that the three quarter ounce lemon juice worked well because the Blackwell rum had a little bit of sweetness, but not an overwhelming amount of sweetness. You may see some sidecar recipes that are basically a 2-1-1 with that use a little bit more lemon juice. I didn't think that was necessary in this case, again, because there was a little bit of sugar for the rum. So overall, um, not too far different from a classic sidecar or maybe what you call a classic sour um, with obviously the rum base. So uh, to me, it fit the bill. Um, I don't mind drinking it. And again, going back to what I said before, if you give me a bottle of this rum and maybe a couple of these cocktails and my Blu-ray set of James Bond, I'm in for a good weekend. That's it for this show. Thank you for listening. The show links will be up on the Five Minutes of Rum website. That's number five minutesofrum.com. The show is also on Apple Podcasts as Five Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe, rate the show, and even leave a review if you would like. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's at Symbol Number 5 Minutes of Rum. You can send me comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the 5 Minutes of Rum, Five Minutes of rum pardon me, website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum.